Today I want to talk to you about the value of adversity. Now how many of you just love adversity? How many of you wake up in the morning going, man, you know what I need today? I need some adversity. I don't think that way. I'm like, God, today I want today to be the most pleasant, comfortable, painless, uh, easy, uh, best food I ever ate day. You know what I mean? I just, I don't want any difficulties or any problems or anything like that. And uh, as a matter of fact, when I was younger, like, the way I dealt with adversity is I wanted to kill or break something, you know? Like, uh, you know, I've got scars on my hands from just punching too many things because things didn't go my way. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You just, you get aggravated, throw a custom fit, you know, you, uh, maybe you got road rage, you're driving down the road and, you know, you've got, you've got these unseen 50 cows mounted on the front of your car and you're just lighting everybody up as they're going down the road. And, uh, but how many of you know that that's really not the way that God wants us to respond to all of our problems and all of our concerns and all of our difficulties in life and you know, and, and, and adversity is difficulties. And how many of you know now that you're going to face difficulties in life? But here's the thing. Are they life-changing to you? Are they life-changing to you? Because the reality of it is, is who you are was not just made by the pleasant times in life. Because pleasant times don't really do much to change you. It's the hard times, the adversities, the difficult things. Uh, that have made you who you are to the good or to the bad. But what God wants them to do is he wants us to make them to the good. You know, I've talked with a lot of people lately about mine and Christy's relationship. You know, this year will be our 25th year anniversary. And I can say this is right now, mine and Christy's relationship is the best it's ever been. And, uh, but I don't believe it's the best it ever will be. But the way that it is is because Christy and I have made it through a lot of adversity in our relationship. And I don't think God planned all of the adversity. I created a lot of the adversity. She created some of the adversity. And, uh, but what we did is we learned how to get through those adversities and how to love each other and decide what's the most important thing in our life. And that's why we're together today. That's why we're married for 25 years, and that's why we have two beautiful girls, and that's why we're still serving God today is because God has helped us get through and learn from adversity in our life. Amen? And uh, it's sad today that, you know, so many people, some people, I mean, some people are ready to throw the towel in at the first sign of adversity. You know, that's why Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good, right? He says, for if you continue, you'll reap, you know, you'll reap a harvest if you keep going on. And, and uh, but we want, we want comfort, we want easy, we want simple, and, and that's not how life is geared. That's not how life is geared. It gets difficult sometimes. Anything worth having, uh, you're going to have to go through a little adversity to get it. You're going to have to go through some sacrifices. You know, you ever do your budget and you're like, man, I want to I do $10 million worth of things on $1,000. You know, it's just, it's not that, you can't do that. You know, you've got to make decisions and you've got to be uncomfortable and you've got you to prioritize and decide and all these things. Um, you know, there's, there's your work life, there's your, your marriage, there's your kids, there's your friends. There's all these different things that adversity can just pop up at any given moment. And hopefully we learned through the last bit of adversity uh, that we went through and we thought about it, we reflected on it, and it changed us to the better so that the next time adversity comes, we can handle it even better than the last time. And so, you know, Ecclesiastes, let's go to Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4. 
Verse 1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. Now, when you read Ecclesiastes, you're thinking, My gosh, Solomon needs a drink. I mean, Solomon wrote in Proverbs that wine make the heart merry. I, I tell you, he was not drinking wine when he drank, when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. But if you just, a lot, I guarantee you, Ecclesiastes, when a lot of new believers or people read it for the first time, they have no idea what it means because they're so confused at how sad it could be. You know? But you see, Solomon, being the wisest man that ever lived and walked the face of the earth, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes where you had to think. You had to think about these things. You really had to, you can't just gloss over it. You have to read it and say, what is he trying to say here? So a, a day of death is uh, better than a day of birth. Uh, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made Glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. In other words, laughter and rejoicing. And okay, so death is better than birth, and mourning is better than laughter. And uh, what was the other thing there? Uh, yeah, I mean, so, so I mean, how many of you, when you hear that, you're like, that does not make absolutely any sense to me whatsoever? Like, I would not choose any of these options that, that Solomon would say is actually better for you. But I want to tell you this, that it was in the moments of, of mourning, it was in the moments of adversity, it's, it was in the moments of whether it be someone's death or the death of something in my life, spiritually or whatever it may be, is when I cried out to God and I reflected and God began to change me on the inside. It was in those moments. I don't, I don't you know, you know when, when, when everything's going well in your life, right, you can be thankful to God, but you're really not going to cry out to God because you don't need God in that capacity at that moment. But I remember in Christy and my relationship when we first got married, we went through adversity, and that adversity is what brought me to Christ in the first place. It's like it's amazing how God used me to, to work in Christ. You know, Christy got saved because I made her come to church with me. Now, why was I come to church? Because I was the preacher's kid. I had to. And when I was home on leave, yeah, from boot camp, I made her come to church. Dad preached. She didn't grow up in church. She'd been a few times. She heard the gospel. She got saved, and it changed her life. I didn't get saved till later. But I got saved because my marriage was just a very big thing that I was going through adversity in my life because of me. And, but I saw through that that, man, I needed God to do something in my heart that, that, that could not happen without him to save my marriage, but, but, it was more, but, but it just started with my marriage, but it was my whole life. I mean, everything that I said I would do and, and wouldn't do, I had done and didn't do as, a, as, a, as an adult, and I had to realize, you know what, the reason I act this way is because I'm of my father the devil, and the lust of my father I will do. And I was like, Jesus changed my heart, you know, and just one of those things was so that I could be the husband that I'm supposed to be and, and love Christy the way I'm supposed to love Christy and pursue the calling that God had given me. And so we, I've gone through lots of adversity. How many of you have gone through adversity in your life? You've had difficult times. Everybody has. You know, Satan wants us to think that, 
We're the only ones going through adversity, and no one understands, and Jesus doesn't understand, and Jesus understands everything that we go through. That's why God came down, Emmanuel, God with us, to live in the, in the flesh so that he could experience what we experience, feel what we experience, go through adversity like we go through adversity so he can understand. And you know what? When we go through adversity, it gives us the ability to understand what other people are feeling so that we can have love and compassion for those people when they're going through those things. Amen? I mean, that's, 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 that's how it plays out. And so... Uh, you know, better is death than birth. That doesn't sound, you know, very appealing or pleasing. And then, now, do you think that he's saying it's good that someone dies? No. What he's saying here is this, is that when a kid comes into the, into the world, this kid has no experience, nothing to offer. He doesn't have a testimony. He doesn't have an example. He doesn't have a legacy. It's when a person dies that we are able to look at this person and learn from their life, whether good or bad. Don't do this, do this. Think about it. For years, churches with, 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 with windows all down the sides would have cemeteries outside so that every time a preacher would get up and preach, he'd look out those windows and see that all these people eventually will end up out there and, and we need to make sure that they know Jesus before they get out there. Amen? And, and, and think about it. How many times you drove up to a church and you saw a cemetery that, that in reality was always there right beside the church? And what it does is it gives you a big picture view of life. It makes you stop and think about, I mean, how many of you think when you go to a cemetery? I mean, uh, to a funeral. When you go to a funeral, you know, you at least, the littlest amount, ask yourself, how's my life going to be when it's all over? What are people going to be able to say of me, truthfully, at my funeral? What are people going to feel about me at my funeral? Is it going to be a loss to people at my funeral, or is it going to be a pleasant thing for people? These are the questions that we ask. You know, the old kamikaze pilots in World War II, those guys, they had one focus, and it was, it was to die for their country and to, and to kill somebody else for their country. And those guys, when they would crawl in those planes, they would seal those doors where they couldn't get out. And they would give them just enough gas to get to their destination but not return. You see, there was no turning back. And those guys had to be diehard focused on one thing. But the problem is, is if we live our life like that, we don't stop and see the whole picture. We don't stop and see what's important now. We don't stop and gather every experience and every move of God in our life because we're so focused on the end. How many of you, how many of you have lived life like that? I have. Just 100 miles an hour, burn it down, engines blasting, uh, you know, uh, I've got just enough gas to get me there, and, and eventually I'm just going to crash and it's all going to be over. You know, that's not the way God wanted us to live. God wanted us to live with purpose. God wanted us to live with passion. God wanted us to live in a relationship with Him and His people. And, when, when, and, it, and at death is a time to reflect. You know, those, those are like checkpoints. God has built in all these checkpoints for us to, to be able to gather something from, to receive from, something from, to think about life and to think about what he wants to do. The, it says uh, mourning is better than, than feasting. And he says the living will lay it to heart. In other words, they're going to they're gonna receive something from it if they reflect on it and receive what God has to give them in that moment. How, how many of you know what I'm talking about? 
When do you get your revelations? When do you get your knowledge? When do you get your wisdom? When do you, when do you really change in your life? It's through the situations that we experience and go through. You know, I asked Cammie one time. I, I look at Cammie and I'm like, man, y'all know the songs, you know the stories. You know, when we were kids, we didn't wear helmets when we rode bikes and we had rusty chains and they could fly off at any moment, you know, prefer, usually when, you'd go, when you're trying to jump a ditch or something like that. I mean, we, we, we did. We live, I guess, not as sheltered as today's kids. You know, right now, Dad and I are trying to train Nathan how to, like, go outside with a gun by himself, but he ain't there yet. And, but when I was Nathan's age, I would walk for miles at a time with a loaded gun, you know, over my shoulder walking all over the woods. And, uh, and so we're trying to get him ready for that. And, um, and so, you know, Dad buys him tomahawks and knives and blow dart guns and all these things. And we're all still alive. Y'all pray for us. This transition goes okay. And, uh, but I looked at Cammie one day. And, man, Cammie, you know, she's my baby. She's my little girl. She's 10. She's turning preteen, getting a little obnoxious at that age, you know, getting a little weirded out. I know in two years she'll be 12, and her mom will have to establish the pecking order of who's the woman in the house, just like we did with Callie. How many of you mamas know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's, I remember when Callie got older right, and we had two women in the house. It was very weird for a few weeks. And I just, I loaded the pistols. I said, y'all have a duel and figure this out, you know. And there wasn't no bad fighting, but you, you understand what I'm saying? When, a, when another woman starts to appear, it's like, you got to like resort life out and all those things. But I looked at Cammie and, and man, I'm like, Cammie, you're so loved. I mean, you've got, you've got grandparents that spoil the fire out of you. You don't have any needs or concerns. I'm like, what are you going to do when you have a bad day? And she goes, I'm going to laugh. I'm like, well, I hope so, you know. But I do remember one bad day she had. I remember she had a, boy, she had a boyfriend like every grade. That concerns me a little bit. But I remember like third grade, she came home, and man, this little boy broke up with her. And she was just real quiet. She wasn't her usual self. She was having an adverse day. She, she had a boy break up with her. And I went to her and I said, what's wrong, baby? And she said, he, she said so and so broke up with me. I mean, dude, just bawling and started crying. And, uh, you know, and uh, you'll see that kid's face on a milk carton if you look close enough. We don't know where he's at today. But I don't know what happened to that kid. But, uh, but adversity... Adversity, we need to value the adverse things that we go through in our life. You know, I've seen my wife, I've seen my mom go through some pretty adverse things that can shut people down and just destroy you, but I'm blown away at how they respond and how they keep improving not only themselves, but the lives of the people around them. Uh, Sharissa, I mean, all the, all the health issues she's had from wrecks and, and huh, tumors, tumors. Three, she had them three times, not just once, you know. And just, I mean, but how she's, she gets up here every Sunday and she worships like it ain't happening, amen. And, but, but I've seen her a lot of times after church be hurting so bad she'd go home and cry herself to sleep. You know, she, she, you know adversity, people go through adversity. And I've seen my dad go through a lifetime of adversity, having a rough childhood and going to Vietnam and getting blown up and, and, and coming into the ministry and, and, and fighting you know, church people for most of his life uh, to get this church established to a place where when I take it, there's just a lot of foolishness that I don't have to deal with. Amen? See, I'm being blessed because of his adversity. And so our adversity doesn't only change ourselves, but it, it can help other people. It can bless other people. 
it can be a testimony to other people in their life. If you trust God, if you value the experience. I'm not saying like it, amen? Uh, like Olin Griffin said, we're, we're not to thank God for the situations, but we're to thank God in those situations as he gets us through those situations. The sorrow and mourning is better than laughter. You know, think about it. When, what are you doing when you're mourning? You're thinking. You're thinking. You're trying to understand. You're wrestling. You're crying out to God. You're, you're trying to figure things out. And here's the thing. God is in those situations. God wants to change something in you for the better. Amen? You know, joy comes in the morning. Amen? There's always joy. Joy is going to come back around, but we just got to, we got to hang on to God and trust God and, and, and be with each other. The, uh, the, the Bible says in Proverbs that, you know, there's nothing closer to a friend. A brother was born for adversity. It's, it takes fellowship to get us through these things. But the thing is, is here, here's the point, is that adversity stimulates an eternal perspective. It, 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 it stimulates an eternal perspective. Once again, you know, when you go to church and there's a cemetery next door, you're thinking about my eternity in heaven, uh, the eternity of my soul every time you look at that cemetery before you break the doors of the sanctuary. You're like, that's the end game. That's where I'm going to end. But, but you're not, you shouldn't just be thinking about that. You should be thinking about the purpose you have now to see other people, you know, end up where you end up for an eternity with Jesus. Amen? In the kingdom of heaven. I mean, and so everything has a purpose. We can't just live... We can't live life like a like a, a rocket lit and just taking off, not really knowing where we're going. We need to understand where we're going and the purpose of life and the purpose of everything that happens in our life. And we need to think and say, God, where are you trying to do? My dad is so pat when something my dad never just my dad never accepts anything that it just happened. He says there's always something going on behind the scenes and he, he seeks it desperately. And, and here recently, uh, you know, in my marriage, I've been, I've been like seeking understanding. And in that, God has given me a love for Christy like, like I've never had. You know, you know, I've been talking about this a lot, y'all can tell. But I mean, that's just, that's, and that's because that's what I'm going through right now. What, what, good, can I, what good is it going to do me to tell you something I don't understand or I haven't been through? What I'm telling you is, is in difficulty, God can change your heart, change your life, and make things better. Amen? Make things better. I never got stronger by lifting lighter weights. I never got faster by laying on the couch. You know, you know, going through the things, you know, I was always mad. I'm mad because when I tell people, you know, I'm a Marine Scout sniper, I always have to add the disclaimer, but I was a Clinton Marine. You know, if you know anything about Clinton, we didn't fight no wars during then because he was too busy being a knucklehead. And, and so, you know, I thought, man, what did I go through all this training for? Because it was difficult. I didn't eat for days. I didn't sleep for days. I ran like crazy. I was just, I was, you know, military fitness is not like going to the gym here. It's like, it's really more gut and fortitude because you just, you're, you're almost like a POW dude that's just in good, really good shape, if that makes any sense. And so I went to Sears school, you know, where they, they uh, in survival, evasion, resistance, and escape, they, they, they teach you. Uh, oh, I, I actually watched a video today or yesterday, and it says Sears School is about teaching the best uh, to to deal with the worst. 
You know, it's about adversity. What if you get captured? And so being a sniper, they sent us there in case, because, you know, there's a good chance of being caught because you're a small team. You're not, you don't have a big, a lot of firepower. And uh, I remember we went there, and, you, and once again, and again, you didn't eat for days. You didn't sleep for days. And they had people beating on you. And I was the shortest guy. I was the first guy they picked out of the lineup. Man, they, they just worked me over. Uh, I actually got to see some people get what we're listening to. They don't let you look. But I got to hear a, a, a lady get waterboarded, and I thought I was next. And I was, I was not really excited about that. But luckily, I didn't get my turn. And, um, but I think about all those situations, and I think about being tired, and I think about being uh, just exhausted, and I think about being hungry. And so now as a pastor, you know, on those days when I feel like I just don't want to do this anymore because there are those days, right? There's those days where you feel hopeless and you're like, man, is anybody getting any benefit from, from anything I've said? You know, even though there is, you have to stop and think and, and, and listen to the Holy Spirit. But on those days that I feel like I have nothing left to give, I just hang in there. I just shut my mouth. I be quiet. I say, you know what? God has trained me to endure. You see, because pastors are quitting every day by the droves. But you know what? God took physical things that were adverse, and he instilled them in me so that I could spiritually stand when things got adverse spiritually. You see, God is trying to make us and trying to create us and trying to change us and trying to help us. And if every time something bad goes awry, we want to throw up our hands, man, we would, we would be quitting like crazy. But how many of you understand it's in, the, it's in the adversity of our life is when we change. It's in the adversity is when, when our, our, our hard-headedness gets broken. It's when our desire gets broken. It's when our will gets broken. And we submit to the will of God and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do it your way. Amen? Uh, let's go to Ecclesiastes 7, 5 through 2. So the first thing is adversity stimulates an eternal perspective. we got to see the big picture. Satan, like a roaring lion. Remember, he's a false lion. And, and you know, Dad, you know, Sharice had a word about a lion the other day. Dad got the word at the same time in Poland. But, it, but something Dad said was this, is that if a lion is roaring, that means he's not eating. Amen? He's just making noise. It's when the lion gets quiet is when you need to start worrying. That means he's got his mouth full of your butt cheeks right now, eating you up. Because the Bible says that Satan goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And, and, our, and our, our desire and our goal should be is to not let Satan devour us in our adversity, but to have faith, to have resolve, to have strength, to be founded and grounded and to let God rescue us from that adversity and to come out the other side where there is joy, where there is peace, where there is understanding, where there is transformation, where there is a testimony. Amen? Nobody ever gets up here and says, man, I was having a good day and it just got better. No, when people come up here with a testimony, it was, here I was, and there God showed up, and this is what turned out. Amen? That's where testimonies come from, is in our adversity when God saves us and rescues us. The Bible is full of adversity. You, you go look at Moses. Think about, think about that. His mom had to take him. And to save his life, she had to risk his life. Now tell me that's not scriptural. The Bible says, Jesus says, that if you want to save your life, you've got to lose your life. 
And it said that his mama put him in an ark, threw him in a, a, a crocodile-infested Nile River, and, and he floated right where God wanted him to be. It was in that adversity. It was in that danger. It was in that risk-taking that God fulfilled his purpose and fulfilled the purpose of Moses. So Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 5, it says, It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of a fool's. I've got way more CDs of songs of fools than I have of wise people speaking in my life. Because I've hung around a lot of stupid people in my life. And I was one of them. I have some recordings of my own. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This is also vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than is the beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of a fool. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. It's stupid, I guess. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. And so the second thing is this, is that adversity cultivates godly character. You know, the first thing, it, it develops an eternal perspective, but secondly, it develops a godly character. It helps you see, and it helps you become. It helps you see, and it helps you become what God wants you to see and what God wants you to be. Amen? And so, the, you know, so a rebuke makes us wise. How many of you like to be rebuked? You know, rebuke, rebuke can come in all kinds of forms, right? It could be sweet. It could be harsh. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes I don't like the way I'm rebuked. Matter of fact, I never like the way I'm rebuked. But what you have to do is you say, what is the truth in this? Because when you sit there and look at the truth in the eyeballs, you really can't say anything back. The Bible say, uh, Proverbs says, if you rebuke a fool, he will mock you. Are you a mocker or do you listen at the truth? I'm learning still that when somebody speaks to me, I'm like, okay, before I run my mouth or defend myself or, or whatever, I've got to hear what this person is saying. Are they speaking truth into my life? And what do I need to do about that truth? What do I need to do about it? You know, I, I know a lot of times in church, you know, sometimes, sometimes you go through difficulties in relationships, right? And, uh, you know, how many of you know that if you have a relationship long enough, there's going to be conflict? I mean, it's just, it's just the nature of the beast. Christy, have you ever had conflict? I think twice. Christy and I had two, two conflicts in, in 30 years, you know. But... Um, but, I'm, but it, I'll tell you what, now, now it is so much easier now to, to get crossed up with Christy than it was a long time ago. Because used to, there was, something was going to get broke. The nicest things were not going to be said. Somebody was going to storm out the building like they were on fire and, you know, and all that. But now, now we were able to talk and work things out in a mature way, in a way that is not about any, not, not me being right or making her an idiot or vice versa. It's about what's, what's the truth that's going to bless each one of us in this relationship. And that's what it's about. 
And, and as Christians, you know, we, I hear this all the time. So if you said it recently, I'm not picking on you. I mean, I've said it too. But sometimes we get to a point in life where we say, man, we, we just need to get back to loving each other. Because it sounds easy. Right? It, doesn't that sound simple and sweet and easy? Man, we just need to get back to loving each other. Loving people is the hardest thing you will ever do. So don't, don't, don't belittle it by saying we just need to get back to loving people. We need to say it like this. We need to say, we need to love people. We need to love people. We need to love people. And what, a lot of times, like, like times, you know, I'll, I'll say it is when I'm like, oh, this was difficult. Let's just let's try to get, hit the easy button. There is no easy button. And the worst thing you can do in a loving relationship is not speak truth into people's lives. And what happens is at the last minute, you know, what happens is we don't speak truth into people's lives in the last minute. Things have been destroyed because nobody spoke truth into somebody's lives, and then there's no way you can fix it. There's nothing you can do about it. Everybody's standing around going, man, maybe we didn't love them enough. Maybe, maybe you know, and what happens is we, is we become enablers thinking that we're loving people, and we're, we're damaging them to death, to brokenness, to destruction. You know, the Bible says, he that often being reproved and hardeth his neck shall ultimately be destroyed, and that without remedy. I've, I've got to listen to that, too. If I, if, I, if I get confronted more than once about an issue, I have to say, huh, what am I going to do about this? Am I willing? Am I willing to be destroyed? Am I willing to ruin my marriage? Am I willing to destroy my kids? What am I willing to do to be right? What am I willing to do you know, to, 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 to not allow God to work in my life? But rebuke makes us wise. But, you know, I've seen, I've seen times where you can go to people and say, hey, you know, and it, ain't, it, it shouldn't be opinions. It should be this is what the Word of God says. And they say, you know what, I receive that. And they become the wiser for it. And they grow. And things work out. But I've seen people that were just wrong as all get out in the church. I'm talking about doing some pretty hard, even illegal things. Right? Assault, abuse, whatever. And you confront them as sweet as possible. And they throw a freaking fit on you because they don't want to hear it, you know? And I've had times where I was harsh in my rebuke. I'm, I'm not going to lie. And I've had to go back and repent and say, you know what, I was a little harsh in that. But here's the deal. Somebody, they're, they're going to receive the truth or they're not. You know, my dad, oh my gosh, he had to get a whole new heart because I stressed him out his whole life. He's got, he's got a, pay, they say it's Agent Orange. I think it's Chad Orange because he's got a pacemaker and he's got, he had to have ablation. And I think of all the times that, I, I wished I could go back all the times when he spoke in my life and I went, yes, Dad, you're right. But I defended myself. Made up the stupidest lies. You know, y'all know the, the spotted dog story, right? I ran over a mailbox one night. I think I was even sober, so there was no reason to lie about it. And Dad says, what happened to the mailbox? I said, Dad, you won't believe it. The spotted dog ran out of the ditch and I swerved to miss it and Knocked the mailbox over instead of just saying, I can't drive. Because he can't neither, so I could, he couldn't have been, made me feel bad about it because we both drive the same. And uh, it's amazing how him and I don't get in wrecks because we, we use all the road, you know what I mean? We, we take liberty with all, those, all that space between those lines. Yep. Now, Sharisha, Sharisha just drives crazy. I don't, with repercussion. I don't, you know, it's, it's scary. Um. But rebuke makes us wise, experience makes us wise. 
It says, better is the end of a thing than, than the beginning. And, and so what he's saying is at the end is where you've got the experience, is where you can get the feedback, is where you can get the debriefing, is where you can look and say, I did this good, I did that good, I didn't do this good, and I need to do this in a different way next time. Amen? How many of you learn through experience? We learn through experience. And so, and so God, is, God is wanting to change our perspective of life. God is wanting to change who we are in, in adversity. Uh, the good old days. How many of you know Van Halen? Raise your hand. It's, it's, it's okay. Dude, I love me some Van Halen. Now, there's some songs I don't listen to because the Holy Spirit's in me and He won't let me. But, you know, I kind of go through and just discern, okay, this is good, this isn't good. But, man, that song, because, man, those dudes knew how to play electric guitar and they knew how to beat on a pair of drums and they knew how to play a bass all at the same time, you know? I don't like all this screamo stuff they got now, but it was just good old rock and roll. And, uh, but that song, Where Have All the Good Times Gone, the way it starts out, man. Like, you know, I, you can ask Christy, I don't dance, but like if nobody's around, I'm listening to that song. I'm like, I'm grooving, man, because I'm like, because he starts out with that electric guitar. And it's real simple. You can't, don't overcomplicate rock and roll, man. Just keep it simple, and it's good, and it's pure, you know, even righteous to an extent. So, so I'm, I'm listening, and, uh, but, but, you know, the, but he sings this song, you know, about where have all the good times gone, but at the end he says, you need to get grounded. He said, I mean, there's actually wisdom in that song. He, you know, he starts off, and it's almost like the way David writes and Solomon writes. Oh, man, this is terrible and all that. But in the end, he actually throws some wisdom there. He says, hey, things are actually easier today than they were yesterday. Things are actually easier. And he says, you just need to get grounded with reality. You see, because when we try to live in the past, we're, we're, we're not living in reality. It's partially true, but it's partially not reality because it's not now. It's, it's then. You can't go back and change things. You can't go back and fix things. But you have to, you have to look at those things and say, God, what can, you, what can you teach me through those things? What can you change in my life? And, and that's something that God has done in mine and Christie's life, you know, to look back. And, and it, makes me, it makes me so appreciative that, that she's still with me, for one thing. You know, I think when, I talk, when we talk about our past, she goes, Christie's like, man, why did, I, I asked Christy, why did you stay with me? And she goes, you know, I really don't know. But I do, I thank her, man. I thank her. When we, I'm telling you, right now, when we get up in the morning, we were like laying there for an hour just talking. And I actually go to bed on time now, so I get to spend time with her and talk to her. It's crazy. Because for like 25 years, man, she would say, come to bed, I would pout like a two-year-old kid and say, no! I ain't doing it. You told me to do it, so I ain't going to do it. So I'm, I'm 45 and still rebellious, you know? But I mean, God, God, is, God has just given me a heart for her to like, man... She, it's like there's been a, a friendship rekindled, you know, like, like when I was 15. And, but God is showing me through all this stuff that we've came through and through all these things that we've been. I'm talking about some hurtful, uh, hurtful things. God has shown me what he has done and what he has redeemed and how we got through them and how we're still here. And I'm like, wow. You know, we were like the most likely to not succeed at Lumberton High School in 92 and 93. But I think we're the only ones still married just about. You know? And everybody else that used to look at us like idiots was looking at us like, how in the heck do y'all do it? And I'm going to tell you, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And if I could tell my friends, man, if you let Jesus change your heart, you can become what God wants you to be for the success of not just your marriage, but your life and walking with God. Amen? So Ecclesiastes 7, 13 through 14. 
Well, well first off, if, you, if you're so focused on the good old days, you become ungrateful and unproductive because you're backwards thinking, you're not moving forward, and you're not being grateful for what God has done up to this point. And if you're looking backwards, you're not waiting for the next thing God's going to do. You're not looking forward. You're getting weary, you're getting tired, and, and you're ready to give up. But Ecclesiastes 7, 13 through 14 says, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? God makes things crooked sometimes. And you can't make them straight. He says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, what? Consider. You see, it's in adversity where we have to consider. We have to consider the big picture. We have to consider who we are and what we are going to do about it. God has made the one as well as the other. God made adversity. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. You see, God made good days and he made bad days. And we, can't, we, don't, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We have no idea, we have no clue, and that's just how God wants us to be because God wants us to wake up each and every morning, no matter how it goes, to love and to serve and to follow Him and to respond accordingly to what is going on in our life. James 1, 2 through 3, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. God wants us to be steadfast on the good days and the bad days. But you know what? You know, you say steadfast. That means solid. That means immovable. That means concrete. That means chained to the wall. You're, you're not going anywhere from this place. And you know what? We don't start that way. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And the way you become single-minded is by listening to the Lord, reading His Word, experiencing His Word, and understanding that there is no other way. Amen? There's one way. That's Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and He is the life. If you want to have a life, you need Jesus. If you need a way, you need Jesus. If you need the truth, you need Jesus in your life. And so I'm not telling you to like adversity. I'm telling you to learn from adversity. Let it change your life. I've gone through all kinds of and much adversity in my life but that is the reason why I'm here. And it's the reason why I'll be here next Sunday. And it's the reason I'll be here the Sunday after that. And because of that adversity, has changed me, but it also helps me see into your life. And it helps me understand what you're going through. And it helps me have compassion for what you're going through. But you know what? There is a part of us. You know, I think, I think uh, man, I mean, Christy and I both, I would, I, would, I would do anything to go back and erase all the things that I did in our relationship, but I can't. I can't do that. But what I can do is I can take that pain and that experience and that past, and I can offer it as a sacrifice to God to say, God, I can't change it, but I can give it to you to redeem it, to restore it, and to use it to touch other people's lives. That's what I can use it for. Because, you know, I can't I can just cop an attitude and say, nope, I'm just going to suffer about it. I'm not going to use it for other people, God. But you know what? That's what I'm going to do with it. And that's why I can stand before you today and say, you know what? I've been through some hard times. Christy's been through some hard times. 
dadgummit, my kids are going to go through hard times. And I hate that, you know. But I know this, it's going to change them. It's going to develop them. You know, Callie was just scared of everything when she was little. She was just a soup sandwich, dude. I couldn't get her to go down the slide at Lake Tejas. I was all like, what am I going to do with you? I tried the Marine Corps dad thing, and that doesn't work very well. It took me years to fix that. And, uh, but I remember she started playing softball, you know, as simple as it may be. But honestly, getting hit in the face a couple times and falling over and getting a few cuts and scrapes, it, it toughened her up a little bit. It really did. And it changed her. And, uh, and so I thought, wow, that, that really works. And, and I've watched her go through difficult things, and I've watched her grow, and I've watched her develop. And I'm like, Lord, thank you for the adversities of life that change us. Amen? So don't let adversity be a thing that sets you back. Let adversity be a thing that sets you forward, that sets you apart, that sets you up for success in the future. Amen? Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. I just want to pray for some people today before we go. How many of you believe that it's important to respond to God's Word when you hear it? It's an opportunity to not just hear in your head, but to receive it in your heart what God wants to do in your life. But I just want to ask a real simple question today. I want to ask you this. How many of you are going through some type of adversity at this moment, if you would just lift your hands? Yeah. Probably about half of you. How many of you today say, I need help in handling this adversity better? Just lift your hands. Amen. A lot of you. This is what I want to do. I want everybody just to stand up. And uh, and Sharisha just leads us in a short worship song. I want you, if that's you today, and you say, I need help in this adversity, I want you just to come down. I just want to pray for you. And I pray God gives you strength in this adversity. You know, nobody's going to know your business because, man, there are, how many, how many types of adversity are there in life? Infinite. And if there ain't one that exists, Satan can create one, or, you know, or God could even create one. I mean, the adversity, there's, there's just numerous adversities in our life. But what I want to encourage you to this today is I want you to look at your adversity and look at the big picture. I want you to look at the big picture, and I want you to look at yourself and say, God, what is it that you want me to see, and what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you want me to see and what is it that you want me to do in this time of my life? You know, I've been, I've, I've been, I've had multiple days where I thought, oh gosh, God is done with me, you know, thinking it was the end and it just only be the beginning to something else. As long as you're willing to keep submitting and following God, God will, God will continue to use you on and on and on and on and on. And uh, so don't ever let the devil tell you that it's the last day. Did y'all hear Dad's message a couple weeks ago? I think I was gone. He talked about God's always got one more move. Satan can never look at God and say, checkmate. He could tell you that and make you think, you know, through through, through psyching you out. But God, Satan can never put God in the corner. He never can. He never will be able to. Satan has already lost the game. You know, Satan has is, Satan is refused to accept defeat, and he's still playing the game. You realize God's not playing the game anymore. God's doing something else. Satan's still at the chessboard by himself, playing a game that he's already lost. Because God always has one more move. Amen? So, Father God, I just pray for each and every one of these people here today. 
And Lord, there are various adversities represented before us today. God, there's, there's marriage, financial, emotional. There's just everything that you can imagine, Lord, is probably represented here today. But God, these people today say, Lord, give us strength in our adversity. Lord, I pray as they cry out to you, Lord, that you will speak to them, that you will comfort them, Lord, that you will restore them and strengthen them to get through whatever they're going through. And God, I pray that at the end of it, they will rejoice when they find joy again. Lord, I pray, God, that they will be grateful for what you've done. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that it will advance them further into your kingdom, into your purpose, and that it will change them for the good in their life. And that when they see someone that's going through what they go through, they can say, hey, I was there at one time. And this is what God did for me. And this is what God will do for you if you will allow. Bless these people, Father God. We just ask you in the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Y'all give the Lord a hand this morning. Christy. All right, so for the announcements today, we got guys night, July the 13th through the 14th. Uh, Don't forget about that. Also, VBS, July the 16th through the 20th. It's going to be noon, or it'll be 9 to noon every day. Uh, Registration is still open, and we still uh, would ask you to volunteer if you possibly can. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. And uh, also, this Wednesday night coming, we're having the men and the women meet again. So the men will be at the event center. The women will be over here. Uh, at the sanctuary, Chrissy's going to have a word for you guys, and I'll have a word for the men. So y'all get ready for that. Don't miss, okay? Just because it's a Wednesday night don't mean you don't have to come. You have to come because I said so, right? No, just, just come and, uh, and hang out and fellowship. And uh, remember, uh, it's good to have friends and even brothers in adversity. Amen? Father, I pray you'll bless each and everyone here today. Lord, speak to them. Lord, let us mourn with each other. Let us be joyful with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.